Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H brighton.org. Welcome to the City on a Hill Christmas Eve gathering. So great to see so many of you from all of our different congregations. So great to see so many faces I don't recognize and folks who are just here visiting, whether you're invited by a friend or found your way off the street, we just hope that you feel the welcome of Jesus tonight. Uh, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor of City on a Hill Forest Hills down in Jamaica Plain, and I'm so, so excited to be able to bring the word tonight from Isaiah chapter 9 as we wrap up Advent together with our four churches. And I cannot express how thankful I am to be a part of the City on a Hill Network. Every single one of our churches is a blessing. Glad that everybody's here. Uh, So thankful for each of our four congregations uh, here in the City on a Hill Network. Um, Thankful for the friends and uh, and partners in the gospel that we have together. And so I am honored to wrap up our series through Advent. And if we think about Advent, Advent is a season of longing and expectation. A season of longing and expectation as we remember the people of Israel longing for a Messiah to come. And we know that that Messiah is Jesus, that Jesus came and then he rose again and he ascended to heaven. And But we are also a people who are waiting for the second coming or the second advent of Jesus. And so each holiday season, we enter into that longing together. And most of our congregations have been looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and unpacking the different names of Jesus as a way that to frame up our series of Advent of how Jesus brings hope and joy and love and peace to us. And so if you haven't been with us or your congregation hasn't gone through that, uh, we explored the idea that Jesus is a mighty God, that he's a God who comes in power, that he is a wonderful counselor who has a plan for us, that he is an everlasting father, which tells us the type of love and tenor that he comes to us. And tonight we are looking at the idea that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So what does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And first of all, what is peace in general? How would we define peace? I believe our 21st century definition of peace comes up lacking. The word peace in our understanding, our dictionary would be to have a status of being calm or a lack of disturbance. Now, some of you may want that this holiday season. Some of you have family members here. You're going to go see family after this, and you really would like a little bit of calm and lack of disturbance. Uh, My favorite, one of my favorite SNL skits ever is called Best Christmas Ever. Do yourself a favor and go watch that later. Um, It has Matt Damon and Cecily Strong, and they talk about how great a Christmas it was, and they would flash back to like being sneezed on by children and your weird political uncle and all that. Some of you are like, yes and amen, I'm heading into that, pray for me. Um, But we imagine needing some peace. We imagine needing some calm and some lack of disturbance. But I believe the biblical definition of peace is so much better and so much more holistic and so much more robust and shows us why it is such good news that Jesus would come for us. It is the biblical word, the Hebrew word shalom. The word means wholeness or flourishing or really the idea that everything is going to be made right. Everything is going to be restored to the way that God intended it to be. And that is something we all want. Tim Keller says of this peace, the peace on earth, shalom on earth has to mean where there was poverty, there is prosperity. Where there was disease, there is health. Where there was death, there is life. 
Where there was hunger, there is satiation. As well as where there was alienation from God, there is now reconciliation. Where there is unhappiness, now there is inner peace. And when we hear that definition of peace, it probably increases the feeling of distance we all feel from that peace because the reality of Advent is all the blessings that Jesus brings of his hope and his love and his joy and his peace are ours, but we don't completely have them yet. We have them in part. One day we will experience them in full. And if we look at the world and we look at our own lives, we often feel pretty disconnected from peace, from wholeness from flourishing. If you were to look at the AP headlines, you would read headlines this week such as Israel-Hamas war surpasses 20,000 casualties, that there was a mass shooting in Prague. You would see stories of abuse, trafficking, injustice, and corruption, not to mention that we're all holding our breaths again for another presidential cycle starting in like six days. We just need to be single a little while for a country. We don't need to enter into another relationship. That, that was Friday, by the way. That, that's, that's a routine day in the news cycle of the unrest and the anxiousness of our world. But we don't even have to look at the, our own world to see our own anxiousness and lack of peace. We can simply look at our own hearts. Is anyone here worried? Is anyone here stressed? Is anyone here battling anxious thoughts even right now as we're singing about the joy to the world? Is anybody else's body failing you? Anyone feel dissatisfied? Has anybody got hard kids? Is anybody unfulfilled with work? Is anyone lonely? Does anyone have strained relationships? We feel this distance from the peace that Jesus promises. And what this first shows us, the first of three truths about peace that we're going to look at tonight is this, that everyone everywhere longs for peace. Everyone everywhere is longing for things to be made right and for things to be made whole. And when you take into account all the news stories I just mentioned and the inventory of your own heart, universally we know that the world and our lives are not right. Your experience from Monday to Friday, just one look at human history, our daily experiences confirm the fact that no one can look around at the world and say, man, this is perfect. No one can look around and say, this feels whole. It feels like we're all driving and looking at a half-built road, which is just called driving in Massachusetts. We, we, we look like we're looking at a half-built road all the time. And the only way to say that that road is perfect, that that road is right, that that road is whole, is if you settle. You say, well, this is just as good as it gets. We're going to make this broken world as best as it possibly can be. We can settle We can say it's perfect or whole if we're willing to just ignore the problems and ignore all the red flags. It's like when you're dating that person that all your friends say you shouldn't date. You're like, but I love her. And they're like, but she's, yeah, no. Like where we willfully ignore the problems. Or if you're just someone who's insulated yourself away from the problems of the world because comfort has a way of blinding us to the needs of other people. But the Bible confirms what our hearts already know and what our world tells us. Our hearts tell us that everything is amiss. And this is what I love about Scripture, because the Scripture is no holds barred. It doesn't pull its punches. It doesn't hide the hard stuff. It addresses the hard stuff head on. It shows us how messed up we are as people. It's not trying to make heroes out of flawed people or give hope through a situation if we just work hard enough or look hard enough that we'll find our way out of. It drops us right into the middle of the story and it tells it like it is. And this is the story we see in Isaiah. We're in chapter 24, verses 19 and 20. It says, the earth is utterly broken. 
The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgressions lies heavy upon it and it, fall, and it falls and will not rise again. We enter into a story of an Israel that is in desperate trouble. They're looking around. Invasion is imminent and they're wondering where will our help come from. And I wonder this evening if you feel exactly like that. You know that your heart is askew and that the world is not right. And you're asking the question, where will my help come from? See, not only are we all longing for peace, but every one of us is looking somewhere for peace. We long for it and we look for it. And here's where I believe as God's people, we can rejoice because we have the answer to the longing for peace. We know from God's word that God will give us and bring us peace. We can rejoice in this. And if we know God's word and we trust God's word, we know that peace is coming. And if Israel had remembered, they'd remember the promises and the faithfulness of God that someone is coming, help is coming, hope is coming. They would realize that when we look to God's word, it grounds you that what you're experiencing right now is not going to be forever. And as we look at chapter 9, we really have to look back at chapter 8 because Israel is being reminded that God is faithful. They're being reminded that God is, is not, has not left them. Verse 17 of chapter 8 says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. You can still hope when God seems distant. For some of you right now, you may be thinking about God and God doesn't feel present. He doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's listening. It seems as if God is absent, but yet it tells us he is still there and we can wait upon him. We can look to him for peace. But my tendency and your tendency and all of our tendencies is, is to not look to God and his word and his promises and his past faithfulness to give us peace, but we go looking somewhere else for peace. When God doesn't come through fast enough or in the way that we want him to come through, we go looking elsewhere. So it's not a question of if you're looking for peace, but where you're looking for peace. And when we don't look to God, we look elsewhere. And we see this in verse 19, where it says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? If we don't look to God, we'll look elsewhere. And it says, it describes them as necromancers and mediums, those who claim to have influence, those who claim to have wisdom, but really spout nonsense. And it describes their nonsense as chirping and muttering. Listen, if you look hard enough, somewhere, someone is going to give you unproven advice about that one thing you want peace in. You can look on the internet, you can look on social media, you'll find someone who will give you advice about your physical health. I've really tried to work on physical health this year and work out a lot this year. And so my algorithm is like, everybody's lifting weights. Everybody has a different opinion. I just don't know what to do. You, there's someone out there who's willing to give you advice on peace for your mental health. Someone who's willing to give you advice for your career or for relationships. And if you just travel here and experience that, and by that, you're going to find peace. But we see from verse 21 that those who do this, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. They just leave you distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. When we don't get what we want looking for peace in other places, we will 
authority will lash out against God, often being left in a place where we began. And this is why Isaiah writes these words, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. He's saying this generation has has forgotten God's word. King Ahaz had been king, and this was a very low point in the nation of Israel as far as trusting and believing God at his word. And, And he tells them in verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony, run to the word of God, run where peace can be found. And when we run to God's word, we're always called to remember God's people of Israel, they've been reminded again and again, and you see these refrains that run throughout the Bible as they're being reminded, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who led you out of slavery in Egypt. Why are they being reminded of that? It's because you and I forget about the faithfulness of God. The past faithfulness of God reminds us of the future faithfulness of God who will bring us future peace. And what Isaiah is saying is that if you look to the word itself, you will see God. When you look to the word for peace, you will see Jesus. Erasmus wrote this in the 1500s. He said, on these pages, you'll find the living Christ and you will see him more fully and more clearly than if he stood before you, before your very eyes. The peace you want comes from Jesus. And lastly, only Jesus brings lasting peace. Only Jesus brings lasting peace. And we see in Isaiah 9, what type of peace he brings. There's a jarring juxtaposition From the end of chapter 8 to the beginning of chapter 9, the end of chapter 8 says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That sounds bad, okay? You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that. Beginning of chapter 9, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. What changed? What changed from the end of chapter 8 to the beginning of chapter 9? Unto us a child is born. Jesus comes giving us peace. And we see that Jesus comes and gives us peace in the darkest places. It continues on. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he had made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. He mentions Zebulon and Naphtali because geographically, they were positioned as the first place that was always invaded. Anytime there was an invasion in the promised land, it always came through them. Jesus brings peace to the darkest places. He brings peace to those that are hit the hardest and the worst. The Prince of Peace comes at the darkest moment in places to give the deepest peace. And it says, Ray Ortland says that God came to his people first where they had suffered the most. And from that place, he launched salvation for the world. Maybe tonight you're in the darkest place that you've ever been. Maybe this evening, this is the worst year you've ever had. This is the worst your mental health has ever been. Maybe you committed the worst sin or made the biggest mistake that you ever have made. Jesus brings his peace right into the middle of it. And that's the story of Christmas, that Jesus comes for those who can't see a way out and gives them a way out. Jesus also brings peace for your heart. Verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You can have inner peace. The dark night is not going to last forever. There is real peace to be found in Jesus. And this isn't just an idea. This isn't just something that's abstract or something that's on paper. This is something that is real that can be had by enjoying Jesus. Philippians 4, the Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's as we delight in Christ that we find peace. Real, actual experiences of wholeness and flourishing. And God never promises a a troubleless life, but he does promise to be a savior who gets down in the middle of our problems, who gives us ultimate peace. So maybe this evening, maybe you'd say, "I, I don't experience that inner peace. What would it look like for you to ask Jesus for peace? What would it look like for you to ask Jesus to step into the middle of your anxiety? What would it look like for you to trust Jesus and allow Jesus to to just say it's going to be okay? What if you're looking for satisfaction and you could ask Jesus to be that satisfaction? Thirdly, Jesus brings peace among his people. This is a beautiful claim. Verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. As the nation increases, as the people increase, the joy of the people increases. The peace we experience only increases as we enjoy this together. I I love baseball. I've loved baseball ever since I was a little kid. One of my first memories as a little kid was being three years old, going to the old Fulton County Stadium in Atlanta, getting to watch Dale Murphy play baseball. I remember this. I remember playing catch under the bleachers with my granddad. I loved, loved baseball my entire life. One of the saddest moments of my entire life, though, around baseball was in 20, 2021, right as COVID was about to, like the, things were starting to loosen up. You could get 25% capacity at Fenway. Anybody, remember, anybody go to a game during that? Awful, an awful experience. Imagine singing Sweet Caroline with like four people in the stands. It was horrible. And especially if you've ever experienced the joy of a full Fenway Park singing at the top of her lungs. And we can recreate that now if you really want to. If you, we, we won't do that. Um, It matters when we gather together and push each other towards peace and push each other towards joy. This is why your local church matters so much. This is why I'm so thankful for each of our City on a Hill congregations is that when we share life in proximity with one another, we feed off each other. As you experience peace, I experience peace. As I experience joy, you experience joy. And we magnify these things in one another. And if you're not a part of one of these congregations, I would encourage you, go find the one closest to you. If you're visiting from out of town and you're not a part of a local church, we'd love to help you find one. But I do want to remind you that this type of peace and this type of joy and enjoyment with the people doesn't come overnight. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. You know what you have to do before the harvest is you have to wait. Months and months and months of waiting for the harvest to come. We live in such a fast-paced microwave society that we want peace, joy, hope, and love immediately. It takes time, but we will experience the spoil of these. And they are glad when they divide the spoil, which is like getting a bonus at work. And it's not like the Christmas vacation bonus where it's the jelly of the month club. Like this is a real bonus of peace and joy. We also experience peace from Jesus for creation. The book of Romans tells us that creation groans to be made right, to be redeemed, that Jesus promises to redeem and make creation whole. 
That's why verse four says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. So whether it's the yoke, which is like an enduring type of suffering or the staff or the rod, which is severe and afflicted, every instrument of injustice and oppression will be broken by Jesus. And it's going to be like on the day of Midian. If you, if you know your Bible and you go back into Judges, we see Gideon with 300 men defeats over 135,000 people with inadequate weapons. He has like pots and torches in the, in the middle of the dark. He's facing overwhelming odds. And this encourages us that it may seem like there's just too much evil in the world. It may seem like the odds are just stacked against God's people. We look at the overwhelming evil in the world, which is honestly too much for us, and we're reminded it's not too much for our God. That God's solution for the world was to send a baby into it who would grow up and die for our sins and defeat it once and for all. And that this God's even going to put an end to war. Verse 5. For every boot of the tramp, uh, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Or as Ray Ortland says, every mechanism for tyranny will go into the bonfire of God's grace. And we're going to receive the blessing of a battle that we did not fight, that we get to enjoy the spoils of. But we have to see lastly that peace only comes if Jesus is king. Jesus brings peace only as our king. He is the Prince of Peace who came in the humility of a child born into the world who will reign forever. And he reigns with the plan of a wonderful counselor. He reigns with the, the power of a mighty God, the paternal love of an everlasting father and the provision of the Prince of Peace. And it says here that the government shall be upon his shoulders. In other words, the ability to give us those things belongs to Jesus alone. You and I are often like Atlas in Greek mythology who believe that the entire world sits on our shoulders and we try to bear the weight of our own peace. But as we see in verse seven, it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The peace and the reign of Jesus are indivisible. You don't get one without the other. You want peace, Jesus has to be your king. If you want justice, Jesus has to be your king. If you want righteousness, with God, Jesus has to be your king. So this Christmas, let us rejoice that Jesus is the Prince of Peace who gives us real peace, real shalom, real wholeness now and forevermore. Let's pray. 